Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you've given us. We ask you, Lord, that as we come, that you will just meet us where we're at. Lord, let us respond to your word in truth. Lord, we thank you and we love you. Lord, as we come, let our hearts be open to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I was in my house one evening and someone knocked on the door. And it was one of the neighbors two doors over. Apparently, they were staying with my neighbor. So I didn't know who the lady was. Uh, I just knew that she came to the door and she was frantic. She said, I need some help. I need help with my baby. There's something wrong with my baby. And I'm like, what are you coming to me for? But anyway, I I went over, and I could see there was something wrong with the baby. The baby was not moving. And so I began to ask her some questions. I said, okay, can you tell me what what happened? What were you doing? She said, I was feeding my baby, and all of a sudden, the, the baby stopped. So I grabbed the baby. I took the baby, turned the baby upside down, held the baby like this, stomach first, hand on the back, and began to hit the baby on the back. And then after a few, after, eh, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds, the baby took a breath. The baby was fine. But they called the paramedics to come just to make sure, and everything was fine. The interesting thing about that is that my job had just offered a couple months before that some training in CPR. So I was actually prepared for that situation. However, that mother was not prepared for the situation. So what that mother needed was somebody to intervene for her who could help her. Now she had no idea that I could help her. And I didn't know until I was there that I would need to do anything. But I had the ability to be able to do something that changed the situation. When we look in Ephesians, we see in chapter one that God begins to lay out a plan. God lays out a plan for salvation. He gives the the past, the present, and the future from his perspective of what he's going to do with salvation. In chapter 2, he begins to let us know on an individual level to the Ephesians, he lets them know, listen, this is how God's going to do this work of salvation. And so what we see here is that we see a context in which God lays out a plan and he says, listen, you have been chosen You have been predestinated to be this. Now, you probably heard last week from Pastor Charlie the whole situation about being chosen and predestinated, and I'm not going to go over that. The only point I want to make is that Paul lays out what God's plan is in regards to that. 
And so one only knows that they have been predestinated or that they have been chosen only because they're on the other side. See, because God is all-knowing, he knows who is going to do what, thereby he can lay out his plan according to what he already knows. And that's what he does. But we don't know that. And so what Paul is letting the Ephesians know, this is what God does this is how he does it. And the first thing that Paul says in verse number one of chapter two, and we're going through verses one through 10 today. And so what we see here and the title is made alive in Christ, made alive in Christ. And so he lays out what God is doing. And the first thing that we see here, Paul says, as for you, you were dead. Wait a minute. <laughs> yo, yo, Paul. Come on, you have to start off there? Yeah. What Paul is doing, he's letting him know this is the condition that you were in. Ephesians, this is where you were. You were dead. When you look at something being dead, we know from some, a person who dies is, is that they're put into the ground and they're buried. And as far as most people are concerned, you know, okay, they're in the ground, they're gone, but that's not how it really is. See, see, death is an annihilation. Death isn't, that doesn't mean it's over. It's not, there's nothing extinct. That death doesn't mean that. Death merely means separation. So when we see somebody being physically dead, they are separated from their body because they are a spiritual being, even though they might have been a dead spiritual being or made alive in Christ, they're still a spiritual being. So therefore, there's a separation between the spirit and this physical body. And that's what we see death being. But then there's another death. There's spiritual death, isn't it? Spiritual death is merely the separation of a person from God. The separation of being involved with the life of God. That's what spiritual death is. And then we know there's another death. There's eternal death. Eternal death is the separation from God forever. That's what eternal death is. So Paul says, listen, you are dead. But then he puts a descriptive on it. So he gives us a description of why. We are dead in your, or you are dead in your transgressions and sins. So, so what's the problem? It's the transgressions and the sin that produces the death. Where do we see that at? Well, we go back to Adam and we see that, don't we? We see because of Adam, we are now, <laughs> we're now shaped and we're born into and that's where it comes from because he was the representative that God had created and wanted righteousness and perfection to come out of him, but he failed. He fell. He sinned. And by virtue of him sinning, we all are born into sin. And so Paul is letting them know, he says, you are dead in your transgressions. Transgressions means to fall, to fall away from. So, so, and then he says sins. Sins means we, to, to fall short of the mark. So he says you've fallen away from and the short of the mark. It's because of that that we're dead. A dead person doesn't have any activity. A dead person is unconscious. 
A dead person can't do anything. A dead person decays. And so what he's saying is, is saying that you have been, you were in your transgressions and your sin, and because of that, that's why you were dead, and a person who's dead is decaying morally. So what do we see in our world today? We see people, they're dead. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they're dead, according to the Bible. See, there's a biblical view here, and this is what the Bible is saying. This is coming from the context of God. This is coming from his view. And so what we see here is that according to God, those who don't have a relationship with him are dead. They are separated spiritually from God. They are inactive when it comes to spiritual things. Now, they can be spiritual, but it's not spiritual in the living God. And you have a lot of that going on today. But Paul's going to let us know some things about that. And so what we see here, he goes on and says, in which you used to live. See, they used to live that way. How did they live? They lived in their transgressions and sin when you, look at what he says, he's talking to the Ephesians. He say, he's giving them the condition in which they were in, and we were in that condition too, and maybe there's people here who are still in that condition. Because everybody who comes to church, that doesn't necessarily mean that they know Christ. And so what we see here, he says that you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Oh, my goodness. This, wow. This is what Paul is saying. He says you follow the ways of the world. See, the, the, the world has ways, and we see it every day, don't we? The world has no problem cheating. The world has no problem lying. The world has no problem stealing. Anything that's a transgression against God, the world has no problem because guess what? They, they're not thinking about God. The God is not a part of their life. God, they, they're not even concerned about what God thinks. And see, at one time, that's where we, those who are believers, used to be. And Paul is reminding the Ephesians, but Paul is also reminding us, this is where we used to be. Now, now notice the term, used to live. Now, there's a problem here. It should be used to live, right? So why is it that some people are still living like the world if they've been saved? We have a problem now, don't we? Because if Paul is addressing the Ephesians and he's letting them know this is what you used to be, this is what the condition of people are who don't know God. They are totally absent of having the mind of God. Everything that they do is centered around not God, but centered around, here we go, the ruler of the kingdom of the air who is Satan. Satan's dominion is the kingdom of the air. Satan's dominion is the world system. That's what people live under. And so what we see here today and all the stuff that's taking place, if people don't know God, why should we expect them to do the things of God? They, don't, they have the inability of doing it because they don't have God's nature in them. 
See, the nature that they're listening to is their flesh, which is their nature. That is the nature that they have because without God being in it, they are now subject to being disobedient, which comes from living in the system where Satan is. I'm just preaching what it means. Don't get on me. I'm just merely breaking the text down. So if you're getting upset with somebody, it would have to be Paul because he's the one that wrote it. And so when we look at what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, there's the ways of the world. Who's actually over that world? It's Satan. It's Satan's kingdom. And then we see the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, when we look at the spirit in this context, it's not talking about evil spirits. It's not even talking about Satan at this point. What's interesting here, it's talking about influence. Influence. Being led by. People who aren't saved are led by the flesh. People who aren't saved are ruled by the dominion of the kingdom that they dwell in, which is absent of God. So when we see those people who are doing the things that are ungodly, that's what's in them to do. And they look at each other, and they, they want to up each other. Well, I can do it worse, or I can do it better. And I, all the things that, that are part of the world, it's part of Satan's kingdom, which is outside of the realm of God's kingdom, but yet God is still over all of it. I don't have time to go there. See, the reality is, is that God is able to operate in that kingdom through the believers. So that when a believer who is a saved person, and this is what we're talking about, because this is where Paul is going. Paul is letting us know, listen, God has a plan. His plan is to come and save mankind or to save humankind from sin and their transgressions because it led to death, separation from God. And so God has created a way or made a way for us to come back to him so that we can have life. I had no idea when I went over to that house, that I would be involved in helping someone maintain their life. We had no idea when we were born that God had made a way for us to have life. <laughs> Look at what Paul says. So we're able to see that we are disobedient, that our condition is, is in the realm of Satan. Matter of fact, isn't it Jesus who said to the Pharisees? Now, these are the religious people. These are the godly people. These are the people who, who were the Jewish leaders, and God said, ye are of your father, the devil. That's what Jesus told them. Wait a minute, but they're serving God, aren't they? Wait a minute, but they don't believe in me. Can't you see there's a new covenant here? 
I'm in front of you. I'm changing things. See, see, what you're doing in the temple, that was a type of what the real thing is. And right now, you are standing in front of the authentic. You don't need to do that anymore because I'm right here. I've changed it all. Jesus, is, Jesus changed it all. And Paul is letting us know how he changed it. See, <laughs> this is so wonderful. In, in verse number four, now it says, and three, all of us, look at Paul. Paul is saying, now Paul is Jewish. He's talking to the Ephesians, who's Gentiles. He's saying, listen, I'm part of that. All of us, all of us in verse three, lived among them at one time. Who's he talking about? Those who are disobedient. See, those who are disobedient is about living up to the expectation of those who are disobedient. Look how easy it is for us to sin. Look how easy it is for us, even as believers, to fall into sin. It's so easy, isn't it? And the reason why it's so easy is because we were born in it. And we have a difficulty getting away from it. But what we need to realize that, wait a minute, God's nature is in me. The power of God is in me. That's the difference between us and the unbeliever. They don't have God in their lives, and now we have the very presence of God through the Holy Spirit living within us that gives us the ability to counteract the transgressions and the sin because we were once enslaved to it. That word enslaved, chained, there's no way out. See, this is where Paul is going. See, from God's perspective, we were done. We were done. There was nothing we could do about our condition. We were dead, inactive, separated from God. There's no way we could fix that. There's no goodness that we could ever do. There's no, it doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how many babies we kissed. It doesn't matter how many old ladies we helped across the street. It doesn't matter how much money I gave to charity. It doesn't matter about all the good stuff that I did because outside of what God has done, there's no way we can get to God. This is where Paul goes. Look at what he says. <laughs> but then he says, like the rest, all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. <laughs> gratifying, satisfying the appetites that's a part of our sin nature. Isn't that what we do? Come on, y'all. Sexual sin, gratification, eating, overeating, I'm guilty of that one. All right, overeating, gratification, why? Because I love it. I love food. I want to gratify, I want to satisfy my flesh. Give me some peanut butter and chocolate ice cream any day at any time, and I will eat it. Okay? The, the, the flesh, cravings of the flesh. See, that's what's going on in our sin nature. There's no way around it. And even as believers, we struggle in that area. But why do we struggle so much? Because we don't feed the other nature. We think that 
coming to church, listening to a message, that that might be able to do it. How many of us get into the word every day and go before God? How many of us study the word so that we can show ourselves approved before God, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service, it says. Reasonable. We can't even get that right, can we? Look, but this is the worst thing. Look at, look at what he says. We were, we were by nature objects of wrath. Over 600 verses in the Old Testament talks about the wrath of God. 20 different words talks about, in the, in the Hebrew, talks about the wrath of God. We were under the wrath of God. See, but you don't hear sermons about that too much anymore because they're not popular. Talking about the wrath of God, right? We were under God's wrath. We were dead. There was nothing we can do. We can't fix it. Now watch this. Verse number four. This is the greatest but that you can ever read. Right here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, the first word, but. Now, we use that word a lot, don't we? Somebody asks you to do something, well, I wish I could, but I got something else to do. Somebody call us up move on Saturday because I got a new house. I would love to help you, but I got something else to do. We hear that all the time, don't we? We even make up the butts because we don't want to do it. Come on. That's what we do. We put that butt in there. I call it the butt monkey. Okay? That's what we do. But, but, but this is the greatest but. Because, see, we're, we, were, we were in trouble. We were under the wrath of God. We, we were dead in our sins. There's nothing we could do. Listen, we might as well party hardy. We might as well get out there and do everything we can, see who can sin the best. We can have contests to see who does the worst sin because there is no worse sin because everybody gets the same thing at the end. But! Greatest but. Here's what it says. It says, but... Because of his great love for us, God. Paul lets us know that here's the subject. God is now the subject. It's, 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 it's not about our condition now. He, he, let us all, he let us know what our condition was. See, you see, there was nothing we could do. He's reminding the Ephesians, listen, this is what your condition was. You, you were hopeless. There was no way for you to change your condition. And, and yet, look at, look at what the devil does. The devil will have people thinking that because they're religious, that they're okay. God will, uh, uh, the devil will have people think that by what they do, that's good, that God somehow is going to accept that. God will have people sitting up in the pew every day of the week, the devil will, thinking that that's going to save them. 
No. No. But God. But, but God. And he lets us know his, his love, through his love is what did it. Because he, he loves us so much, he provided a way. He made a way for us. And then he gets into how, what that way was. And here's where he goes. Paul now says we once were object of, of God's wrath, but because of his great love, God, and then he, puts, he begins to describe God because of there's an attribute that God has that we are in need of. And he calls it, here's what he says, who's rich in mercy. Now, what does that word mercy mean? Here's what it means, undeserved kindness. Undeserved kindness. You know, you know a parent gives a lot of undeserved kindness to their kids. I'm, I'm going to be straight up, because we love y'all. And we will tolerate a lot of stuff. We will take a lot of stuff. We will put up with a lot of stuff. Why? Because we love you. And because you're ours. And because there's something about you being ours that brings about this love. But notice God. <laughs> While we were yet sinners... While we were yet sinners, he died. Can't touch that kind of love. While we were yet sinners, he died. Mercy, because it's rich in mercy, undeserved, undeserved kindness. Here we go. He made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions and sin. It is the grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. And then he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of the grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord. Paul starts off. He goes, he goes here. He says, you have been made alive. In some versions, you're going to see the word quickened. Quickened mean to be made alive, which means that something was dead, right? Our spirit was dead. We just explained that. He, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But while we were yet dead, Jesus had done something. And then what, what Paul does, Paul takes what happened with Jesus. Because Jesus, when you look at what happened to him at the cross, what, what, what happened? He, he, he came, he was brought back to life, right? And then he was raised and then he went up and he seated with God the Father. Now, I want you to catch this. Look at how Paul writes this. Paul is saying that what it means in the Greek, it means together with. Together with Christ. Together with Christ. 
Now watch this. Even though we weren't even born yet, when we get saved, when God looks at us, he sees us back there with Christ and we're raised at the same time. We're raised at the same time. Now, 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 now watch what this does now. If you remember Adam, Adam's sin is imputed to us, right? When Adam fell into sin, everybody who came after Adam was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. They, they were automatically, they had a nature of sin. So now we can see that through Adam, that's how we got into the condition. And now what Paul is saying, wait a minute. Jesus goes to the cross, and Paul is letting us know that when we are saved, that when God looks at us, he sees everybody who gets saved at the same time with Christ. Together with Christ, we are made alive. So that means, wait a minute, let's, let's catch this. So if I'm made alive in Christ, and I was dead in my sins and transgressions, what happens to my transgressions and sin once I'm made alive? What happens to my nature? If I was dead in trespassing in sin, and, and God now makes me alive in Christ, and then you hear last week in chapter 1, everything that we get in Christ, but notice what Paul says here. He says, together with Christ. So number one, we're made alive. That's what he says. But then he says something else. He says that we're raised with him, right? Now, here's something interesting. Most people will look at this being raised here as the resurrection. But in Ephesians, it's not talking about that. In Ephesians, it's talking about the ascension. That Jesus, he was ascended into the heavenlies. Now, look at what, his, what Paul is saying. This theology, making it very practical. That at the same time, when Christ was ascended into the heavenlies, all those who are believers, he's telling the Ephesians, that you also were ascended into the heavenlies, which means you are living in a different realm in addition to the realm that you're living in now. We're living in a spiritual realm right now. That means we have access to everything in the heavenlies. See, <laughs> we don't have that as unbelievers. The unbelievers don't have access to God in the heavenlies. We have access to everything in the heavenlies. Do you know what that does for our lives right now? And then he says, not only that, we are seated with him. Wow. We're seated with him. As I look at the scripture and I go back to John, and we're going to partake of the supper here in, shortly, but if you remember that scene 
in the Last Supper, when John is seated next to Jesus, and Jesus is talking about what's going to happen, and then John leans over to Jesus and asks him the question, well, who is it? Seated next to Jesus. Jesus is seated on the throne. We're seated next to him on the throne, which means when you look at the throne, it represents authority. It represents strength. It represents security. We've been risen with Christ where the believer has security, the believer has strength, or has authority in the spiritual realm over the things of this earth. We just don't know how to use them. He's given us the authority. He's given us strength. He's given us security. And, and then, but, but see, when, when we see seated next to him, that, wait a minute, being seated next to Jesus, it also means that I can, I, I can communicate with him. I have easy access. I have intimacy with him because I'm right next to him. And Jesus is going to be open with me to reveal to me and let me know and to illuminate the things that I need to know about what he wants me to do. <laughs> we are made alive in Christ. We, 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 we are risen in Christ, and, 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 and we're seated next to Christ, and this is what he's telling the Ephesians. But I need to hurry up here, and I'm going to right now. And so when we see this, we, we now see what happens. He says, for the coming ages, he says, hey, this, this is going to be from age to age to age, from generation to generations. God is showing his splendor. God is showing and revealing his glory. God is revealing his grace and his mercy, and he allows us to be a part of it, and that's the plan of his salvation, to have us be a part of it. And a lot of times we just look at it as it's no big deal. And we go on through life and we struggle and we, we still get caught up in the enslavement of sin and yet we're free from it. Isn't that interesting? That reminds me of the Israelites who wanted to go back to Egypt because God has set them free. He says, listen, you have, I have a promise. You, are, you have the promised land before you and they wanted to go back to Egypt because they could not be freed from their mind. And that's just like us. We have been so caught up in sin, we've been living in it for so long, it's a part of our nature for so long, that when we, we get saved and God becomes a part of our life and we don't know how to let go because we don't know how to walk in freedom. And then there's these, all this stuff you hear on the radio that keeps us enslaved because they want us to walk by the law and God says we can walk by grace. And then Paul says, 
in verse 8 to 10. He says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, well, we, we already found out what Jesus done. When we look at what Jesus does in terms of us being, being, having this life, giving life in him, there's two parts to it. The first one is covenant. It's covenantial. It's covenantial that God, because of Christ, he sees standing. We are standing in Christ. We're standing with Christ so that when he sees us, he sees us through Christ. He doesn't see our sin and our transgressions because he has taken care of them at the cross. He sees them. I want you to get that, y'all. Because if we can truly grasp that, then we don't have to walk it in it. See, it should be the opposite effect because we have been created in his workmanship. And what that means is, is that God is a master artist. And we're his canvas. And part of his plan of salvation is to take those who have been born again, which he was able to foresee, and he's already had incorporated them into the, his plan. And we just... Uh, we have to get close to him to know what his plan is so that we can walk in it. Because he uses our lives <laughs> to show the world his artwork, his grace and his mercy because he's writing it through our lives. But if I don't understand that, my life is mediocre. And I miss out on the opportunity of how God can use me when, when God, Paul is telling them and he's telling us that, wait a minute, it's by grace that we're saved. We had nothing to do with it. It was, it was all the grace of God. It's God's salvation. And he's given us the privilege of being a part of it so that we can be used for his divine purpose. That's what Paul is saying. He says God wants to express his kindness through us, the incomparable riches that comes out of our lives when we allow God to work through us. For by grace we're saved. But then it says through faith. Some people think faith is intellectual. Some people think faith is a feeling. No. You hear people say that all the time. I have faith in you. I have faith that you can do this. Sounds like a feeling. I, I have faith that you can do this. No, that's not what God's talking about when it comes to faith. See, there's three elements of faith. Biblical faith. There's three elements to it. First element is knowledge. Knowledge about what? Knowledge about the gospel. See, anytime you talk about faith, there has to be a, a knowledge because there has to be an object of our faith. People have faith in faith, which isn't real faith. See, so when you look at certain faith teachers, and I'm not going to get into all that, but when you hear certain things that they say on TV, it's about having faith in faith. I'll give you an example. 
If you just had enough faith to believe that you're not sick, you're not going to be sick. Yeah, that's why you have a cold. <laughs> See how crazy that is? That's, that's not biblical faith. No, that's not what we're talking about. No, it starts with the knowledge of the gospel. What's the gospel? Jesus Christ going to the cross, right? He died, buried, resurrected, right? That believing in the gospel message. But then there's a heart response. That's element number two. There has to be a heart response to the knowledge, which means you have to receive it. Not just believe. See, when you begin to look at the Greek word believe, it incorporates receiving. You have to accept it. Notice where Paul goes with this. He says that Jesus, salvation is a gift of God. See, if I come down here and I take $50 out of my pocket and I give it to Pastor Charles and he takes it, what has he just done? He said, thank you. But he received it. See, and, and salvation has to be received because in order for it to be a gift, the gift has to be accepted. It has to be received. See, a lot of people don't really receive the gift. They want to do everything else but receive the gift. It's a gift of God. God's taking care of the salvation. We have to receive it. But here's the third element of faith, of biblical faith. The third element is commitment. That's where people get stuck. Let me give you an example. All those that are married, at some point you had to meet that person. When you met that person, you began to have a knowledge of that person. That's what you're you gathering information. You're getting knowledge. You're getting understanding about that person, right? And then as time goes along and you start to hang out with this person, I kind of like her. I kind of dig Danielle over here, right? And as, as we get close and, and we, we go out and we start talking, I'm learning more about her. She's learning more about me. And I'm getting more knowledge and understanding, but then something else begins to kick in, right? I, I, my heart starts to come into this thing. It's like, hmm, I, I kind of I think I want to be with her for the rest of my life. Huh. And then I start to think about, hmm, maybe I, I, I have to start thinking about getting a ring. Because well, look at where I'm going now. Because I want to be committed to just her. See, that's, wrong with, that's what's wrong with a lot of guys. They don't want to deal with commitment. See, they like to play around and play the field. You don't want no cat like that. <laughs> no, you want somebody that's going to be faithful, that's going to be straight, that's no, no hokey doke with him, that he's going to be faithful and going to love you because he loves God first. He's got to love God first. When you see a man who honestly loves God, you don't have to worry about him. Now, he might have some stuff. But you can't fix this stuff, but you can go to God stuff, can't you? See, when you're with an unsaved person, you can't go to God about their stuff. Because their father is the devil. Can we be real? So now you're asking God to fix something with one of the devil's kids. Now, not to, I can't now, 
He can, because when we pray for unsaved people, that's what we're doing, right? But you want to put up with all this mess and, and wait 10 years before God does it? That doesn't make any sense. When you can have somebody already in and be able to have a relationship with that person who loves God rather than wait if they ever get saved. Okay, but what happens then when I pull that ring out my pocket and give it to her and it's an engagement ring, I just communicated something to her. What did I communicate? I want to be with you for the rest of my life. That's what I said. And then we get married, and I'm committed to her and her alone. See, that last element, commitment, belief changes behavior. My belief of the knowledge of her that I gathered while I was going with her gave me enough information that I derived out of it that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her, and then I took the next step and made the commitment. But see, when it comes to Jesus, we don't do that. Jesus, I want the fire insurance, I want salvation, but I can't be committed to you. That's like getting married and then not being committed to your spouse. Because isn't, aren't we married to Jesus? Jesus is the only one that brings everything to the table. I have nothing, nothing. Who I am and everything that I have in the marriage it's because of him bringing it to the table. Amen. Why do I not want that? I still want to play around in the world and, and still allow him to smack me all around. And then I want to complain and cry and fuss and fight. And I'm going to get involved with all that. And Jesus is like, I'm waiting. All you have to do is just make the commitment. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Listen, I, I, listen, you have access to everything in my kingdom. He's not going to make us do nothing. I get, my commitment has to come from me desiring to be committed because of what he's done. We are saved to good works, not by good works. Now, here's something interesting. And the good works that comes out of it is God doing the work in us? Mm-hmm. It's not about God. <laughs> no, that's not what it's about. See, see what it comes down to? Notice what we are predestined to. We have been chosen and predestined to be conformed in the image of Christ, which is Romans 8.29. That's what it's really about, being Jesus to the world and allowing the reflection to to emanate out of our lives because of the work that God is doing in us. That's the real work. But if we never reach the point, if we never reach the point of commitment, we're not going to experience that. We got to stop being married to Jesus and living in two separate rooms living and acting around people that were married, but truly not. 
People live together with Jesus. That's another sermon for another day. Living with Jesus but not married to him. How about that? Let's pray, y'all. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful gift that Paul gives to us through his writing that comes through the spirit that infuses him. And Lord, that to allow him to write the theology and the practical application of it to the Ephesians and then to us as we read the book of Ephesians. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that through your mercy and your grace, you brought us back into right fellowship with you. You justified us. But not only did you justify us, you were able to sanctify us. And Lord, we're able to live a life that will exemplify your glory. Give us the desire to want to do that. We thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.